Ashamai, Achloisois Gos, Podlediad Consortium Knobach the Day. And a Podlediad Hun by looking clowed a Trovadetha Duidara and Bob Math of Ethe Arisk. Hello and welcome to SCOS, the Central South Consortium podcast. In this podcast, we'll bring you the very latest discussions on all things education. Hello and welcome to SCOS, the podcast series from Central South Consortium. My name is Catherine Billington Richards and I'm the strategic lead for languages, literacy and communication. In this podcast, I'm joined by two English teachers from a large secondary school in the Vale of Glamorgan, Andy Lilford and Rachel Hassan. In this episode, we're going to discuss what taking research into the classroom can look like for English teachers and what the benefits and the impact can be. So firstly, I'd just like to welcome you, Rachel and Andy. Thanks for giving your time today. We really, really appreciate it. So an open question, first of all, can can you tell us what inspired you to start looking at and working with educational research? Yeah, I mean, I think things started um, very much with the, you know, the launch of Curriculum for Wales and um, discussion around what uh, what a suitable curriculum would look like. And in fact, sort of from quite early on, we tried to get involved with a lot of the discussions that were taking place. So, for example, there's a really um, eye-opening event that was organised at Cardiff High. I think James Wise was sort of the uh, the main organiser. And some of the some of the talks there, some of the discussions, um, particularly one by Damien Benny from uh, I think from Penareal, was talking about um, aspects like the forgetting curve and delayed retrieval practice and building schema and you know when, when we were there I think it's fair to say Rachel isn't it that our ears kind of really pricked up and and we were thinking about what that might look like in our context. Great um, and, and was there anything else where did you go to find that sort of educational research um, did you you know go anywhere in particular or? Um, I think I think a lot of um, where where I started looking was was just kind of connecting with people on Twitter, and um, and I also uh, from following the the Team English Twitter account, I went to the uh, Team English National Conference a couple of years ago, right? And, um, and that was a really interesting event in in um, Salisbury. And as as part of that event, um, there was a, a speaker uh, called Matt Pinkett. Um, I'm not sure what school he was from. But um, he was doing a talk on rhetoric, and yeah. um, and that really interested uh, interested me at the time. And, and then when I went back to talk to Andy about it, um, it was something that we really wanted to try to um, to use in um, in in our school. Firstly, with uh, with Year Eleven, we introduced it with with Year Eleven, and we were starting to to think about how that would work there. But that that Team English National Conference, um, I think, was was a really interesting way of kind of getting involved with. With that research then at the start like a catalyst almost really yeah. i think matt pinkett's um he's the um teacher who's written boys don't try isn't he um the the book about boys in english which which is really interesting uh, andy what about yourself i know that um you know i know you were specifically looking for uh, research uh, for children that perhaps don't have literacy rich backgrounds would that be fair to say yeah definitely i mean you know my 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 context i suppose is you know, I've been head of English for a while, and I think, you know, we we wanted to move on from sort of accepting that a certain a certain percentage of our students might struggle, and thinking about what we could do to, you know, to close the gap, whatever that really means. So, 
um, it did encourage us to look further afield and, and look at where the best practice was happening there. So um, investigating, you know, schools, uh, some in England, for example, the, the Greenshaw um, Trust and the Torquay Academy, um, but also further afield. And, and very, very quickly, we got kind of hooked into the Uncommon Schools Network and some of the work that um, Doug Lemov has been has been doing. So, so that that kind of shaped a lot of our next developments. Um, and I was very fortunate to go on the Reading Reconsidered training that took place in London um, God, a year ago. A year yeah. ago, December. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, wasn't it? When the world was was a normal place, I guess. Yeah. I was I was there with Andy as well. Which it was a great great um, couple of days, Andy, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm really interested, Rachel, um, about your rhetoric unit. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk me through um, what made you, you know, pick up this rhetoric unit and, and perhaps explain what some of the benefits has, have been for the pupils in your classes. Yeah, I think what, what really kind of stood out from um, from that talk at the, at the Team English National Conference, then when I started to read a little bit more about it, was um, how we could use it to kind of move beyond um, his talk was about moving beyond our forest. So that idea of moving beyond um, kind of using um, using a sort of checklist of yeah. sort of, sort of techniques um, in, um, in, in their writing and in their speaking. And um, we started to focus on, uh, on as I said, with, with year 11, we started to focus on uh, ethos and, and pathos and logos and introducing more kind of sophisticated ways of, um, of speaking and writing persuasively. Um, and I think a real benefit of that was, you know, being able to move beyond that sort of um, that sort of checklist approach, that sort of tick box approach, um, and and starting to to think really about um, what could make what could make their persuasive um, persuasive writing and persuasive speaking so so powerful. Um, it's I think in 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 people's own writing they're able to kind of identify um, that. that that sorts of the, the sorts of techniques used and, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to identify the kind of techniques that are used in in other in what other people yeah. have, have written and in other speeches and and then to use that in their own um in their own writing and their own speaking as well Andy I can see you want to jump in there yeah I mean I, I just wanted to say as well that you know what what Rachel brought in there was was high challenge texts you know yeah. along, al alongside that we naturally were encouraging um students to look at, you know, some some of the best things that have been thought and said, you know, and really that was quite an important um, direction for us to take. I think, you know, building that kind of cultural capital and and not shying away from um, texts across across different eras, you know, that yeah, have really yeah. stood the test of time. So. The aspirational movement, really. Then, um, how did the pupils respond to those texts? Um, in your classes, you know, because I, I know that you've done sort of Cicero and and lots of Shakespeare and Martin Luther King, and what's the pupils' reactions been to those texts? Um, really, really positive. I mean, we it, it developed into a Year Nine um, rhetoric scheme of work, and um, I think Year Nine Year Nine really kind of um, they they really jumped on on the um, the idea of of looking at all of those really rich texts and uh, and being kind of really inspired by. Um, by, by like Andy said, that kind of whole range of yeah. different um, different speeches, 
looked at historic speeches and, and political speeches and, and they just really like that that kind of um, variety. That's great Andy I can see you want to jump in. Yeah I, I, I was just going to say as well that it, it was lovely to hear students feeling a real pride in the technical terminology so mm-hmm. you know being able to talk about anadiplosis and use of antithesis and and it really linked into some of the work we've done more recently with vocabulary where you know perhaps stereotyping slightly but but I think it is true to say that you know in particular a lot of a lot of the boys really kind of appreciate sounding smart and having technical names for things which which feel kind of like quite rarefied you know knowledge that knowledge that for them makes them sound smart and, and not everybody might know I think and that's it's, it's that concrete as well, isn't it? It's that it's, you know, not just the abstract concepts. It's 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 looking at the concrete. But also I'm really interested what you're saying about there. I think if I'm reading it right, that you're sort of saying it boosted their self-esteem and their confidence. Yeah, I think so. That's really, really interesting. So taking this further now and sort of just looking at English and literacy, I wonder if there's any other research that has really influenced your practice, um, perhaps at Key Stage 3 or Key Stage 4? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at Key Stage Three, one of the, one of the key ideas that's shaped our thinking was um, well, a couple of couple of points from Mary Myatt and mm. uh, some sessions that we've either attended or we've listened to together. So, um, one of the key things was the idea of texts um, above students' pay grades, so challenging texts and really embracing the challenge. Um, and that informed that informed a lot of our rethinking of key stage three. So, you know, for example, we've we've just finished um, to kill a mockingbird with with year nine, and I've I've done that with um, you know relatively low attaining and and um, a group with quite complex needs, but they have absolutely loved it. And um, you know, again, I think there's something there about self esteem. Um, so, so yeah, challenging text, and also um, Mary Myatt talks about the the uh, the curse of um, of content coverage. Yeah, uh, and and we've sort of scaled back the the coverage and tried to go for um, a sort of deeper a deeper dive on text. So, I think a good example at the moment would be something like um, Noughts and Crosses that we've done, which you know it's 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 taken us ages. I'll be honest. <laughs> Uh, with with lockdown and 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 not kind of being able to set yeah, yeah. Read, reading as a sort of regular homework but but actually the richness and the engagement that that has come from pairing a, a text like noughts and crosses with non-fiction texts that relate to things like the windrush yeah. or stephen lawrence you know it's been really exciting hearing hearing um students in the corridor say things like oh i get what the whole black lives matter is about now or um i was talking to my i was talking to my mum and dad the other day about the stephen lawrence case and they were explaining it to me and you know really there was a real sort of buzz of energy um when we when we embarked on on study of um of noughts and crosses that's really really interesting i know as well andy that um you've you've done a little bit of um, sort of dipping your toe in the water with the University of Sussex fast-paced read-alouds research. I just wonder if you can talk us through that a little bit, perhaps explain what, what the premise is. And I, I know that your trial was somewhat stopped by by school um, closures, but I just wonder if you can give us a little overview of, of what you were doing with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I was very aware that, you know, fluency and fluent decoding is such a huge barrier for for so many students. Um, and in fact, it was it was through a conversation with a colleague at, at um, another school at, at Cambridge School, and they mentioned, "Oh, have you heard about this piece of research?" And um, teaching teaching a uh, a key stage three group at that point, a year eight group. Um, I really wanted to try it with them. Um, so we picked a couple of what for them were quite challenging texts that we had a few copies of. Um, and and we just went for it with a, a sort of fairly low risk strategy. I mean, these these are students who were in year eight, but their decoding through eight years of school was not where it needed to be. And it was a, yeah, and it was yeah. a barrier to their learning in across the curriculum. So we blitzed the first text. Um, Can I ask what text it was, Andy? Yeah, we used Private Peaceful. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the techniques that we used was a lot of kind of um, pairing of images with it. So either I would give them images that connected to the text or they would do sketches or, or even doodle. Yeah. Uh, and, and mainly the idea was that you're feeding into their listening ability which for them was certainly more advanced than their fluent decoding and reading of text it's really interesting um i mean as as you say it was cut short by by lockdown but certainly anecdotally and observing the class that i still teach the confidence to read aloud the confidence to um read much longer bursts of text for some of our weaker readers in that year group um, has been pretty transformational in terms of what we've been able to do with them since. And yeah, and you know, you talk, you mentioned self-esteem earlier. I mean, there is nothing more rewarding than seeing a student who who really was down on themselves. Um, you know, I've got two students in that class who came uh, from very difficult backgrounds, and they are now reading whole pages of text out loud in an online environment. And and it's incredibly um, yeah. yeah. It takes a huge amount of confidence to do that, doesn't it? Especially uh, in an online sort of, you know, Zoom world. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. So sort of on a wider curriculum level, what are you doing with sort of taking some of these strategies and taking some of this research? How are you spreading it out sort of wider than than just the the English faculty? Um. I mean, one of the one of the key piece of reading was um, was Catherine Mortimer's uh, disciplinary literacy, uh, and again that that led us to look at the writing revolution as a as a really good kind of manual for building systems of writing around around the curriculum. Um, what I've really liked about that is you've got some kind of quick wins, and you've got some really accessible ways in for different. Um, different teaching staff and, and people who might be a little bit wary of being seeing themselves as a teacher of writing so yeah you know I know you've also done something with the sort of reading reconsidered units as well haven't you and vocabulary across across the school we have yeah Rach do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about the reading reconsidered uh, yeah I think the the um the idea of of our kind of, of sharing our kind of approaches to teaching vocabulary across the school um was something that um that a lot of a lot of other subject teachers have, have really kind of um, engaged with in, in thinking about how that could work in their own um, subjects. We've looked at um, 
using um, vocabulary grids and and Andy's done some um, some training with um, with other staff on how to um, on how they can be kind of incorporated into um, mm -hmm. into lessons and and I think I think that's really starting to um, to pick up there and um, and I think you know being able to to kind of bring in those um, to bring in that vocabulary and to really focus on explicit vocabulary teaching um, is is something that really allows us to to think about the again the high quality texts that we're that we're using and kind of using texts that are um, as Andy said kind of slightly above um, slightly above their pay grade and thinking about um, thinking about the level of challenge that that we can um, that we can kind of explore in that in in those texts. Sorry, Andy, go on. I was just going to say, you know, it, a couple of interesting things came out of it because we uh, we we provided a few different models for the explicit teaching of vocab. Um, yeah. So we we brought back the the a kind of what we've called the Lemov model, which was presented in that reading reconsidered training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what what's really nice about that is you've got images which accompany the the vocab which you which you teach. Um, so it's great for kind of retrieval practice and it's great from that sort of dual coding aspect. Um, but but some of the kind of um, some of the less. Well, I don't know what I mean, other subjects like, for example, maths, um, technology, aspects of science preferred the Freya model because, um, you know, they might be dealing with fewer pieces of vocab. Yeah, yeah, but the understanding has to be really in depth. It's so like a conceptual understanding, perhaps more in those subjects. Which, yeah. yeah, then the phrase is perhaps it's worth um, just explaining what you're referring to is that Lemov model. So um, in part of reading, we consider Doug Lemov sort of says that as teachers, you're the ones who are the experts in the room. So you provide them with an expert definition of the word explicitly, don't you? So you would say, you know, ex you would explain a word meaning to them explicitly and then the pupils then go off and apply it, don't they, Andy, in a kind of a, a grid format. And as you say, it's illustrated with an image as well. Um, it's it's actually referred to in our Words Matter um, e-learning resource as well. So people, if you want to read more about it, you can click there. So that's really interesting, though, what you're saying about some subjects finding the Freya model more useful, some subjects finding that sort of direct instruction and how it links to sort of whether a word understanding is at, like at a literal level or sort of more deeper conceptual level. That's really, really interesting. Um, if I can move on to Key Stage 4, because I know as well that research has really influenced how you've structured your Key Stage 4. Um, I wonder if you can just sort of talk us through what you've adopted there to make your, um, you know, your teaching and learning practice sort of more research informed. Yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose there's a lot of debate, a lot of argument about, you know, skills, knowledge and the relationship between between the two. Um, certainly, certainly for us, um, knowledge of words you know and, and knowledge of vocab we we were observing it was a big differentiator between those who were highly attaining and those who were really struggling in our subject yeah, yeah. so so we carried forward the the explicit teaching of vocab into key stage four um, and with the with the language gcse um we have sort of moved away from a kind of a skills a, a, an explicit skills-based approach, I suppose, to to trying to develop a, a sort of a foundation of knowledge. Mm. So a foundation in terms of um, 
a good range of vocabulary um, and also just a good a good general knowledge of um, some of the key some of the key topics and kind of current affairs and current thinking around issues like technology, issues like um, social status and identity. Um, because, you know, I think most English teachers can can relate to that moment where you, you do a mock, mock paper with year 11 or you do a, you do the discussion with year 11 and, and you come out thinking, well, they just don't know enough. Yeah, they're, they're, they're making kind of, um, you know, they're saying things that that just aren't related to the real world. So, so we, we've we've organised our um, our language course around those, and actually kind of bringing up a, a list of key terms that we expect students to know and to retain over the long term. Um, and again, you know, what's what's been brilliant is uh, we, we were talking about burgeoning. So, so the term burgeoning was one that we were using in relation to cryogenics and, and the mm. fact that uh, the interest in cryogenics is burgeoning and we used a we used a picture of some buds budding and, and linked it to the idea of um like you know growth. Yeah, yeah growth organic growth and and um and really interestingly in, in the summary question um which related to something growing we were seeing you know you, you kind of cd borderline kids using the word burgeoning in their summary writing, which was just this kind of knock-on effect that that none of us had anticipated. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a real kind of, uh, it was a real double hitter. You know, it, it informed and, and enabled their reading, but then it also informed and enabled their writing. So That's brilliant. And I know as well, you've quite consciously looked at kind of schema building as well. So mm. I know in the past you've talked about the fact that you teach Greek myths in year seven, You've got an eye on what's going on in year 13 when you come to the merchant's tale. That'd be fair to say as well, I, I think, wouldn't it? What yeah, about, Andy. sorry, Andy, go on. Sorry, yeah. Uh, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, we were, so the way that we've organised ourselves is, um, so Rachel has um, a kind of overview in terms of literature. So, you know, we, we do try and really push um, that, that aspect of making links between texts. So when we were thinking about key stage three, we had in our minds a, a bit of a seven year plan, to be honest. So, you know, we, we thought, let's aim really high. Let's aim for year 13. Yeah, let's prep yeah. for that. And if we don't get them there, if we don't get all the, all our students, all 240 <laughs> of them into an, to an A-level lit class, at the very least, you know, we're, we're going to be preparing them for beyond GCSE. Yeah, if yeah. we don't get there, they're still going to be doing pretty well at GCSE. That that was our thinking. Yeah, and and you know as well, you use knowledge organisers quite a lot at Key Stage Four, don't you? I just wonder if you can talk us through how you use them. Um, yeah, we've we've actually used them um, throughout Key Stage Three, Key Stage Four, um, and and uh, in in some ways with with Key Stage Five as well. Um, and I think the knowledge organisers have been really useful for for that kind of um, for for establishing first of all what we want what we want them to know and and making that really kind of explicit to pupils but also to parents as well there's been a lot of um a lot of engagement from from parents in um in using the knowledge organizers in asking for the knowledge organizer yeah. in, in testing their their kids on the knowledge <laughs> organizers um and and that allows us to build in you know things like um more kind of low stakes uh, low stakes quizzing and yeah, yeah. um and 
uh, thinking about the vocabulary on the knowledge organizers, organizing it, but with, with a kind of timeline that is relevant to, to the topic that they're studying. Um, and, and, you know, kind of going back to what Andy was, was saying about that sort of build up through from, from year seven right up to year 13. I think having those knowledge organizers um, helps us to really think about that kind of holistic approach and there'll be there'll be information on, on a knowledge organizer in year seven that, you know, that they might be able to kind of come back to late, much later on uh, and that will be relevant to um, to them to them when they're studying at, at GCSE or even beyond. And, and it's kind of encouraging that that retention of of knowledge over a much yeah, longer yeah. period of time. That's really interesting. I, I just noticed I was nodding and nodding. And of course, this is a podcast, so you can't see me nodding. <laughs> but I was nodding along with what Rachel was saying. Then. Um, I know more recently that you've taken part um, in the Central South Comparative Judgment Pilot, and, and that's led you to sort of look at the research around writing. Um, I just wondered if you could tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the comparative the comparative judgment um, pilot, it kind of gave us that, that much sort of wider context for where where pupils are with with their writing at the moment um, yeah, yeah. and it really emphasized the need for for more um kind of explicit teaching of writing and really kind of breaking down um breaking down writing to um to, to kind of almost accept kind of going back to basics approach really but thinking about you know not not running before we can walk thinking about yeah. not not doing those kind of extended pieces of writing before they've really mastered um sentence level um and you know uh, the quality of their kind of center level writing yeah and it, it really fitted in with with what andy was was saying about with writing revolution andy you want to yeah yeah i mean i was just going to say the timing of it was was spectacularly good as well because <laughs> you know i think you do naturally when we were planning our key stage three you know i think your natural first port of call is what are our texts going to be what's what's the spine of our curriculum going to be so so we'd we we'd had a lot a lot of thought about that um those text choices a lot of them were informed by some other some other work from Lemov. this idea of kind of um the, the plagues the the aspects of text that that students find difficult for example archaic language yeah but but we we became quite conscious that we'd focus so much on reading that writing Although we've got a few things in the bank, you know, slow writing approaches, sentence combining approaches, what what we didn't have really was as a kind of systematic approach, um, and it, and it really showed in the comparative judgment outcomes, um, where I think I think a couple of things really interested us. First of all, where students really knew what they wanted to do later in life, they could write extensively on a task that asked them about future careers so again it underpinned the, the fact that if you don't know stuff you're going to find it difficult to write stuff yeah um so that that linked in with some of our thinking but secondly as rachel said i think sentence construction it was no big surprise to us that sentence construction was a huge issue and going back again to looking for good practice, looking for where um, attainment of, you know, perhaps uh, the weaker students or, or socially disadvantaged students was happening. Talkie Academy mentioned writing revolution. Um, you know, Greenshaw Trust mentioned writing revolution. So I kept seeing it, we kept seeing it all over the place. And there it was 
alongside the um, the no more marking comparative judgment follow ups. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like our eyes just lit up. To be honest. <laughs> We must be doing something right. We're, we're going in the right direction. Yeah. And it's it's really timely. You know, the Aston report was published today on um, English and literacy skills of primary school pupils. And, you know, they talk there about writing being one of the, you know, the weakest of, of the attainment targets for um, speaking, listening, reading or writing. Um, and I think, you know, what, what this is, is telling us is that writing is one of the most cognitively demanding things we can ask a child to do. As you say, Andy, they're thinking about what to write as well as that sentence construction. And um, I think what it's really exposing for us is, at the moment is that children perhaps don't have that secure understanding at the sentence level. Um, certainly when they're looking to add variety, I know, you know, as English teachers, probably we've been guilty in the past of saying add variety of sentence structures to your writing. But what does that actually mean? You know, it's it's the specificity of the feedback that we give and then feeding that through into into how and what we teach and the sequences of, you know, what we're teaching with regards to writing. Rachel, I can see you want to jump in. Yeah, I think I think it just really highlighted to us and, and everything that you're saying there just kind of highlights again how we we sort of assume that that pupils come to us in year seven with um, with some with, with a proficiency in 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 writing and and maybe we we kind of don't break that back down enough and, yeah. and we think about whether um whether they have actually um sort of mastered the the sentence level stuff and got that proficiency in, in their sentence level work um or whether or whether we're kind of rushing them into uh, producing kind of longer pieces of, of work and um and and you know not not really allowing them the chance to um to kind of develop there those more specific um yeah more um and and you know sometimes that can be can be driven a little bit too much by um kind of thinking um you know, thinking about how we need to, to kind of link it to stuff that they know and to, to the content that we're teaching them um we, you know we really need to be aware of that and not make those assumptions that you know they already know how to do something when they come to us yeah. in and it's also, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of international and national research today, um, but this is also local research, isn't it? That you've done, you know, the comparative judgment pilot is, is data that's local to your school. And that's really powerful, isn't it, to help you inform where you're going, certainly, you know, in the current curriculum and I'm probably move, looking forward for curriculum for Wales as well. It's that kind of local school based research that you've got that's driving driving your practice there as well. Um, I guess as a final takeaway now for departments who are looking to become more research informed or research engaged, I would just wonder if you can offer any advice um, and also what, what you think the benefits are to, to becoming more research engaged. Andy? I think as a as a department and as individuals, we've we've definitely benefited a lot from Twitter and, and Edu Twitter and the um, and the content that's out there and the, the advice that's out there has has been fantastic. So, you know, talking about Mary Myatt and mm. and, and people like Lamov. Um, in fact, more recently, um, David Dido with his Making Meaning in English, yeah. uh, which is just which is just dovetailed beautifully <laughs> with the trick that we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, there's some really, really high quality conversations going on. Um, about the use of research and research-informed practice. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, what about yourself? Any any advice for departments looking to get involved? Um, I think we. I mean, we started by. Uh, I mean, Andy set up a sort of CPD board in our in our faculty office. 
and um, and was really kind of encouraging everyone to get involved in uh, in thinking about that the, the, that research and in, in kind of talking about it. Um, and I think it's just kind of making time for those sort of conversations and, and yeah. interest in it. And, and that is what kind of sparked a lot of our discussions. Can I ask how much time sort of in a department meeting you might talk about this kind of thing? Do you, is it something you talk about in departmental meetings? I think probably the, I think it's fair to say there's, there, there are three of us that are trying to drive it at the moment in in um, in department meetings and on a sort yeah, of whole yeah. school basis. So I think that's, that's the place to start really. I mean, it, if, if you take it right back to the beginning in terms of what we read first, it was a case of pushing Rosenshine under people's noses uh, yeah. and then talking and then a follow up in a faculty meeting about, you know, what have you read? What did that mean to you? How did that match what you're doing in the classroom? So it's been very much a sort of drip feed approach. Yeah. Um, but but I think what's what's great is when people when people can see that it informs their practice and it makes them better teachers um, and it and it ups the level of conversation you're having in a faculty meeting then it gets critical mass very very quickly I think you know, people want to be part of that discussion yeah it's like change management really isn't it what you're sort of doing there is identifying people sort of tipping the balance Rachel sorry you, you were going to speak yeah I, th I think that's I was just going to say I think that's really um um, become evident with with the writing revolution in particular. I think because um, because it involves uh, a lot of approaches that um, that are quite easy to to put into practice. Um, there's been there's been quite a lot of sort of buy-in, if you like, from um, from other teachers, and I think that that has has made everyone kind of talk talk about it a lot more and, and take you know take that interest in uh, in thinking about the, the research behind it as well. That's really great. So um, I'd just like to conclude today by saying a huge thank you to Andy and Rachel from St Cyrus for giving their time so freely today and being so open and honest with their discussions. We, we really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you remember to subscribe to the channel for all our future uh, podcast episodes, and you can also give us a follow on Twitter at CSC underscore literacy. Dil Camrando ar y Benod Hon o Sgwrs. Cofiwch ein dilyn ar Twitter a Facebook, tan ysgrifio ein sianel YouTube, a mino yn cymunedau ar ein gwefan a darllen ein bulletin ysgolion athnosol am y newyddion diwyn araf. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sgwrs. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, join our online communities via our website and read our weekly school bulletin for the latest news. Hwyl y mytro. Bye for now.